Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honor. The wicked will see and be vexed. They will gnash their teeth and waste away. The longing of the wicked will come to nothing. So my, my experience in Egypt was, was a transformative time for me. And particularly because I was pretty amazed as I watched the Egyptian people. And I'll give you a couple examples to illustrate what I'm talking about. One time we were in a restaurant, and uh, there was a guy who came out, and he had a Star Wars shirt on. And I said to him, you know, I really like your shirt. And he said, if, you, uh, if it fits you, you can have it. And uh, that was the sort of thing I found everywhere. And one of the things that when, uh, when we first came there, they gave us some, um, they, they brought us to a restaurant, and they gave Anna and I way more food than we could eat as two, as two people. And uh, it was just an astonishing amount. And uh, so I spoke to my tour guide and I said, we really don't need all this food. Uh, can we order less at the restaurants? And he said, no, here's what you need to do. Tell the, tell the waiter to box it up for you and then talk to, your, to whoever your guide is or um, someone, someone in the restaurant and say, ask them if they can give this to someone who is in need. And he said, in that way, uh, you'll do something that's good. And you'll also uh, win points with the people who will appreciate it. And everywhere I went, this was the attitude. And I was, you know, I, at first time I thought, is it just because we're Americans here? Because we're spending money as tourists? But I watched them with each other, and this is how they, how they related to each other. And I met plenty of people who didn't have any interest in our money um, as Americans. And they were the same way. And uh, I called this, I, I thought... What, the way these people are living is what I might call open-hearted. And when I came back to the United States, or really began to make my way back and got into the airport, it was such a, a, such a big contrast, because no one would look at you, no one would talk to you, everybody was focused on what they were doing. I would try to, I would try to like I had been in Egypt, it was easy there just to engage with people. Trying to engage people in the airport was not, was not an easy thing. Everyone is focused. And, you know, and we all struggle with that to a degree. Here, it's not as easy to be open-hearted. We focus, get focused on the things we need to do. We forget about the people around us. We have suspicions. We have fears about what people will say and about what people will do. It was a lot easier in Egypt. And to tell you the truth, that's really one of the main reasons I wanted to go back. is because I did not want to forget the lessons that I had learned there. And, of course, as I thought about it, I, my mind went to the Bible because, obviously... There's plenty in the Bible that talks about living in an open-hearted way. For example, what Jesus says, Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Matthew 5.42, it's an open-handed generosity. And then Jesus right after that says, 
Don't just greet your friends and your relatives. Everybody does that. But you, to be like your Father in heaven, you need to be open to everybody, to be able to greet everybody. But the trouble is that, again, we're weighed down by things that keep us from that. People don't immediately respond when we try to reach out. So the question I had is, you know, how do we get the strength to actually live in an open-hearted way? Which I believe the Bible would commend to us. And I was led to this psalm. I was led to this psalm, and I found in it that the, the answer to the question I was looking for, that I was asking, is, you know, how can we keep giving when others don't give to us? How can we remain gracious when times are tough? What resources do we have to enable us to show kindness when others are unkind? That's the resource that I think that this psalm show, points, to, points us to. And so I want to consider the answer the psalm gives to how do we live open-hearted in relationship to other people in four steps. First, let's consider the reaction that we should have to those around us. Second, let's look at the resources we have to react that way. Third, we'll look at how we should respond to the resources available to us. And finally, we'll look at the amazing results that come from using this resource. So what sort of reaction should we have? What resources do we have to enable us to do that? How do we make use of the resources? And then what happens when we do that? That's what we want to talk about this morning. So first of all, what should be our reaction to those around us? The reaction of the godly man, the man who fears the Lord, according to this passage, is one of open-heartedness. Notice what it says in Psalm 112, verse 9. It says, They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. And so there it says... They are, they're ready to, to scatter their gifts. There's many gifts, many types, and they scatter them around. Of course, this can include money or material resources, but it also includes encouragement, friendship, and emotional support as well. And so this is the description. They freely scattered their gifts to the poor. And where does that begin? I think it begins in how we interact with people when we first see them. And what I want you to consider and think about is when people encounter you, do they encounter an open-hearted person? Do they encounter a person who's ready to scatter their gifts? You know, I was thinking about this in a small way, about how I interact with people, because I've been, as many of you know, one of my passions over the past year has been to develop my, my ability in Spanish. So I meet people all through the community who speak Spanish, and I get ideas in my head of things I could say to people when I hear them speaking Spanish. But I realize, like, why don't I just say those things? Why don't I just say those things? A lot of times I just keep them in my head uh, for whatever reason. But then I realize, like, I actually do that when, I, when I'm speaking English as well. Is that I, I think of things like little comments to make. Not, you know, again, not, not we're talking about bad things that we're thinking about. But just comments about life. And uh, comments about what's going on in the store or in the area. And I was like, I don't tend to say those things. Well, why not? And so I decided I'm going to just start saying those things. And so what I've found is sometimes people have nothing to say in response. But a lot of times it opens you up to conversation. There's got to be a point of beginning. The scattering of our gifts has to begin with our connection with people. It's also described as someone who is generous and who lends freely. That's how we act to outsiders as God-fearing people. 
It says in verse 5, Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. So it says that this person is generous. They have a heart that is ready to give. They're ready to err on the side of generosity. One thing that I remember reading about the early church is that they were open-handed and open-hearted towards people and that they were ready to give and they were always cautious about even inquiring too closely about who they were giving to because they wanted to err on the side of generosity. So they have a disposition to do good. They're generous. They lend freely. But then they're also gracious and compassionate. Look at verse 4. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Now, if you've, if you've read much of the Old Testament, you'll know that this description of gracious and compassionate and righteous is a description of God himself. And you don't have to go far. If you look over at Psalm 111, verse 4, um, it says that he that is God has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. And so it says that those who are who, those who are like him, those who fear him are like him. They are gracious and compassionate and righteous. And what's interesting is it says that in light of verse, what's earlier on in verse 4 is that even in the darkness, um, light shines or dawns for the upright. And I think that's where it shows our character as gracious and compassionate. Everybody can kind of be gracious and compassionate when everything's going well and everybody likes them and everything's good. But when the darkness comes then can we show forth that graciousness and compassion that shows who God is, just like our Savior did. As I was thinking about this, I was, I was thinking about a woman who, I, uh, who, who was in my previous church. And I remember I went to visit her. She had gotten really sick, and she was, she was in the hospital. And uh, so I went to visit her, and it was my birthday. And, but I went to visit her and to see her and to try and encourage her. And I remember when I walked in the door, she started singing happy birthday to me <laughs> immediately. She knew it was my birthday, and she started singing happy birthday to me. And I thought, there is an example of someone who could be gracious and compassionate even in the darkness. Light dawns for the upright. This passage has a vision of doing Good even to our enemies, as our Savior did when he cried out on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so, that's our reaction towards outsiders. It's a disposition to give. It's a readiness to be generous. It's gracious. It's compassionate. It's ready to meet people even when things aren't going well for us. That is the vision that we have in the Bible of those who can even love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them. And that's the vision of Psalm 112. Now, it's nice to talk about it, but we know that when things get tough, when the weight of life crushes down upon us, that it's, it's easy to get focused on our own things and even forget completely about other people around them or to respond with negativity. So how do we get... How, how are we able to be gracious and compassionate even in the midst of the darkness? Well, there are resources here that empower open-hearted living. And it's very simple. It is the promises of God about our future. The promises of God are the resource that is available to enable us to live open-hearted towards the people around us. Consider what God promises us and what we worry about. 
One of the things that causes us not to be open-hearted towards other people is worry about our own family and our children. But what does God promise? God promises to take care of our families. Look at verse 2. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. We also worry about provision, that we will have enough to, to be able to take care of ourselves and to do the things that we want to do. But what does God promise to us? Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. So it's not as if being an open-hearted person, being a giving person, takes everything from us. There's wealth and riches in their houses. God will take care of us, and he will give us good things. We also worry about our reputation. We worry about what people will think. What happens if we fail? What people, will, what people say about us? What will those closest say about us? I was thinking of a, a friend of mine who's a pastor, and he doesn't see the, the growth he'd like to see in his church. And I know that one of the things he worries about is what will other people say about him? What will the other pastors say when we go to Presbytery? They see this. Well, the Lord tells us that we don't have to worry about that. Because what does he say? Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. He will take care of our name, of our reputation. Verse 9 says, They they have scattered their gifts to the poor. The righteous endures forever. The horn, their horn will be lifted high in honor. So our exaltation will come from the Lord. We don't have to worry so much about what people think. When, we've, when we fe- find that people have been talking about us behind our backs or whatever, we find that, that people may have turned against us, we don't have to be so worried about that because the righteousness endures forever. The horn will be lifted high in honor. We also... Worry about those who have done us wrong in the past, in the present, or what they might do in the future. But what the Lord promises us is that he's going to sort all that out. Listen to verse 8. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look on triumph on their foes. The Lord will take care of other people too, even when they're doing wrong. He may wait for a time. We may not know how he'll do it, but he will do it. He's the just judge. He's righteous as well as gracious and compassionate. He will take care of those things. So we don't have to get all bent out of shape over the wrongs that people commit to us because we know we have a God who says, vengeance is mine and I will repay. Now, what this means is that as we give and as we serve, we can trust that the Lord's going to take care of the things that we all worry about. And that he's going to provide for us the things that we need. So we can give freely knowing the Lord's going to keep giving to us. And that's what captured the mind and heart of the Apostle Paul. I encourage you at some point just to read through 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. The Apostle Paul knew this psalm really well. And as he thought about giving, and he told people to give, he said, you know, don't worry about it. Because the Lord is going to keep filling you up so you can keep giving. Listen to what he says in chapter 9, verses 8 and 9. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Quoting from Psalm 112. So, in light of all these resources, why are, do we fail to be more 
uh, open-hearted? What keeps us, what holds us back? Well, I would suggest that it's failure to use the resource that we have. And so let's talk then about our response to the resource that is available. What keeps us from moving forward? Well, we fill our, our minds and hearts with things like, I can't do it. People are not interested in me. They, won't, they don't want to talk to me. I'm not equipped. I won't be taken care of. I have too many issues to deal with. I've got too many other people to take care of. I've got a long agenda list. But what if we believe that all those things would be taken care of and that we could move forward? And that's the key. We must believe. We must trust in God's promises. That's how our character is developed as we learn to trust in the promises of the Lord. The promise is the resource. The trust is the means of taking hold of it. So what does that look like? Well, in verse 1 it says, Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in His commands. It begins with thinking great thoughts of the Lord. To say that He is great, He is awesome, He is mighty, and everything He commands is good. But then it means that we also look, we may look at the things around us, the things we struggle with, but we look above it to the Lord. Listen to what it says in verse 7. This one just gets me because it's really, it's really kind of an astonishing statement. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look on triumph on their foes. Now, this does not mean that the, the bad news is not bad. So I would say the, the news that we got this week that Russia invaded Ukraine was bad news. It meant a significant change in the way that uh, we've thought about the world. It, it presents a lot of potential problems. It, it risks significant escalation. Uh, that could be very dangerous for a lot of us, besides the things that are, the people of Ukraine themselves are having to suffer. It's bad news. And so we don't, one of the things the Bible do, doesn't do is doesn't say that bad news is not bad news. It says it is bad news. But what it says is that bad news is not our ultimate reference point. We have something above it. It says they will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. In other words, uh, uh, beyond all the bad news that we have, there is something that is bigger, and that is the Lord himself. And so our ultimate, our hearts are not stuck in the news that we hear, in the bad news that we hear, because they rest in the Lord. And so in an ultimate way, we don't have any fear. Not that, not that these things can't cause problems or real issues, but in the sense that ultimately they cannot keep us from good. Because the Lord is going to take care of us. That's why, as we read earlier in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. He is available, and that's where we need to keep our hearts rooted. And that's how we are secure and have no fear. Because our first view is to the Lord, and only secondarily to the changeable events of this world. I was thinking about experiences in my life where I started to fear bad news. And one of those was when, when a couple of years ago we were falling short in our giving as, as a church. We had seen some people leave. 
It's not, that wasn't good news. It wasn't welcome. And we had to, and we had to start to think about, are we going to have to make cuts? Are we going to have to make cuts to our, the salaries of our staff, uh, to what we do as a church? And I remember asking my wife about that. And she's like, I'm not concerned about it. I said, she said, we lived in South Dakota on a lot less. Um, and we figured it out. And he said, the Lord took care of us and provided for us over and over again. And I was like, you know, you got a point. She didn't have the fear of the bad news because she's seen the Lord provide. And so that's what we can do. Now, so what happens when we trust? Well, there's two main results. One is peace. Then we trust the promises of God, even when things aren't going well, even when the darkness comes, even when there's bad news, we can actually have peace. This is our, this is our great heritage as Christians, the peace of God that passes all understanding. And we need to claim it. When things get tough, when times get harder, and when the troubles get deeper, that we have something greater. And that is the peace of God which is rooted in heaven where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. As we exercise faith in him and get a vision of the Lord and we see all that he will do for us and we believe his promises, then we can have peace. We can have peace in the midst of the storm. But then secondly, then that gives us margin to in the midst of the darkness to be able to be gracious, compassionate, lend freely. What a testimony it is to the goodness of God when things are breaking down, when things aren't going well, that we can keep giving because we truly believe that we have a resource in the Lord. That is our heritage. We have the resource. We have to learn to trust in it. And as that happens, the Lord will push us outward to be able to serve people even in the hardest times. I think... One reason my wife trusted uh, as, she saw, as she saw things getting slightly rocky is because she had seen so many things like what I'm going to tell you in the following. And just to share my own testimony here, it's like we had seen the Lord provide. And not just like, you know, we have absolutely no food in the cupboard and the Lord brings food when we have nothing. But many good things. I remember... So one of the things I was thinking about, it was very clear to me that we made a decision together that we were going to give a few hundred dollars to a ministry that we wanted to support. And for us at the time, that was a difficult decision to make. Then we had a couple visit the church like two weeks later. They were the parents of a person who attended. And we had a nice conversation with them. Then they left. A week later... I told them nothing about finance. We had no discussion about money. I got a check from them for $300 and just says, this is just to help you out with whatever you need. And I cannot tell you how many times when we have given that we've had things like that happen. And not every time. I don't think the Lord's not just like a, a, a machine that we, we pull down the lever and we get things. But just that it's been uncanny how many times We've given, and then we've gotten unexpected gifts. I had that repeatedly even last year. And that's what the Lord does. 
We, and so the question I have for myself is, why am I so afraid to give? Why am I so afraid to give when I've seen the Lord over and over apply, supply us abundantly with seed to sow? That's what I want to be. A few weeks ago, uh, we had a testimony time. And my daughter Anna talked about her trip to Egypt. (laughs) And she said she was surprised to learn in Egypt, in a Muslim culture, some real lessons about how to love. She was not expecting that. She was not anticipating that. And the thing that I thought about is, what if people looked at the church that way? Over and over again, People coming in contact with the church said, I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't thinking that this would happen. But I went and saw this people, and I learned what it was to love. I learned what it was to be open-hearted. My friends, this psalm shows us how this can happen. It shows us that the promises of God are abundantly available for us. And if we take hold of them, we can have the peace that leads to an open-hearted approach to people that is generous in giving and will show the world what it means to love. Thus may it be. Amen.